0: All I am is yours. What makes us say that? Do we really say that? Is it something we want to say? But we're not sure if we really can. What do you what do you live for? What do you get up in the morning for? And when I ask that question, there's a few different responses that go on in people's heads. One is, is, right on, preach it. I get up for Jesus Christ. I get up for the kingdom of God. Another one is, is guilt. I really want to, but I struggle in this certain area. Or I'm making progress. Or I'm brand new to the faith. Or I'm investigating what Jesus Christ is about. But when you say that, Scott, it stresses me out. Another response is, is, oh, another New Year's Eve service. Great, I'll tune out for the next 20 minutes. And that's okay. Um, (laughs) We're going to take account of four major areas in your life today that kind of are a measurement of your um, commitment to the kingdom of God. But before we get into that, I want to set it up with a few ideas. First of all, what I want to do today, before we take account, I want to inspire you. I want to ask the question, why should we even care about the kingdom of God? And forgive me, because I'm going to ask that question really briefly. We're going to talk about it briefly. And then we're going to, uh, then we're going to take a little bit of a sideways trip, because I like to take sideways trips. But we're going to ask, we're going to talk about, I'm going to caution you with a warning of idealistic thinking that comes sometimes when people begin to really devote their hearts and their lives to the kingdom of God and what that means. All right. So first, why care? Why care about the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Why even care? First of all, we are... We are not alone. The X-Files were right. We are not alone. God is real. God is real. I believe that with my whole heart, and most of you do too also. We are not alone. We, every moment, every thought, every subatomic particle in our being is held in account by God. And that's, that's amazing. He is real. He's really there. Now, we, you can say, okay, great, Scott. God's real. But is he good? And it reminds me of uh, a C.S. Lewis book, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Um, there's a scene where there's the lion who depicts kind of these, kind of represents the Jesus character. And by no means is the lion, The Chronicles of Narnia, a perfect analogy of the true gospel. But it's handy. There's a scene where the children are meeting the lion, Aslan, for the first time, and they're, they're discovering him, and they're recognizing him, and they're understanding the feeling. For, all of, for any of you who have read the book, know the thoughts that go through each of their heads. It's almost this fear and awe, but yet this wonderful fear and awe. And somebody asked, or the kids asked, is he good? And they say, hey, they, oh, sorry, they asked, he seems dangerous, and they said, oh, he's dangerous. He is dangerous, but he is good. Sorry, I kind of blew the punchline to my little thing there. <laughs> he's good, but he's dangerous. If you could imagine, and this is really, the I'm going to give you the Scott lambert like version of the universe. This isn't from the scripture. So it's just, forgive me, you know, just go with me on this. But if you can imagine a universe where God is at the center and mankind are around him, kind of like God's the sun and we're the earth, okay? We're orbiting the sun. How dependent upon the sun are we? Pretty dependent, right? We orbit the sun, it gives life, it gives warmth. It sustains quite a bit. As a matter of fact, our perfect position in orbit is really unique to any other planet in any other solar system. It's the only place that we really are able to sustain the life we have. So what if that planet decides one day, you know what, we're doing pretty good. We've got a good ecosystem going on here. we got good weather systems. Everything's working. We're going to take off out into space. Things wouldn't go too good for that planet, right? It is the same thing when mankind approaches the Creator and says, I don't need you. I got it myself. I'm okay. I can be my own God. And that's really what we've done in our hearts. That's what I do every day when I wake up. I don't know about you. Some people wake up really chipper to the world. I wake up terribly cold to the life in this world. I do not want to get out of bed until my thoughts finally come to me. But... I used to go surfing occasionally and surfing is an early morning sport and it's terrible that it's an early morning sport because I am not a morning person and I used to wake up every time to go surfing and think, "I am, there's no way I'm going surfing today. I'm going to cancel, I'm calling, I'm done. And then after a few moments, I'd start to warm up and be like, okay, and then I would go and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I went. But I have no desire to do that in the morning. So... um. I kind of forgot where I was going with that, but that's okay. Um, so we've, we've run away from God. Okay? God has all the right in the world to just say, okay, fine. Run away from me and suffer the consequences. But he doesn't. He pursued us. Almost as if, again, this is Scott's little story, not the Bible. Almost as if the sun followed the earth to make sure it stayed alive. Does that make sense? God came down to this earth as a man. Lived in the same world we live in. Now he was God. I get it. He accomplished the law That was given to us in the Old Testament. He fulfilled everything that we were supposed to fulfill. He did it perfectly. He died for our lack of being right in his eyes. He died to pay the consequence for us leaving God and saying, I don't need you. I can be my own God. That's essentially what Adam and Eve did. And he rose from the dead. And now we have a choice as mankind. We have a choice to continue to either deny or suppress the knowledge of God and that he's real and the consequences therein lie with that or the joy that lies with that. Or we have a choice to come to Him and say, "Okay, You have created a way for me to be right with You again. How do I do that?" And what happens is, is if you can imagine, if you can imagine over here, the perfect life of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like my—I think I've said this before in a sermon before, but it's worth saying again. It's kind of like my daughter. She's in seventh grade now, and her teacher says. Ellie, um, I want you to do a report on the, um, how atoms are divided or splitted, whatever, however a nuclear bomb explodes. And I want you I want to hear it in complete detail, and I want to have it in French, German, and Latin. There's no way my daughter's going to pull that off. And I want it done in three days. There's no way my daughter's going to pull it off. My daughter comes with her little scribblings. Well, they wouldn't be scribblings. They're pretty good. Her little idea in English. says, this is all I got. I know it's not what you wanted. I, I can't do it. And the teacher says, that's okay. I already have the paper done here. I'll just go ahead and grade my paper. And you can have my grade. And we'll just forget about your paper. But from now on, Ellie, I want you to sit up here and I'll help you do your homework. Does that make sense? I'm wondering right now if it makes sense to me. The Bible calls it the propitiation for our sins. He is the great exchange. We were able to exchange our life for his. God, when you become a Christian, God sees not your life and your works, but he sees the life, the perfect life of Jesus Christ. And he counts that as your righteousness. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I love the gospel. I love the scriptures. I love the story, the fact of Jesus Christ and what it does for us. And the reason I love that is because I I can't do it. I cannot do it. I cannot achieve the life that God meant for me to achieve. Now that's salvation. Salvation. The rest of life is what they call sanctification, theologians call. And that's walking with God and learning to grow and develop and walk in a way of wisdom because life is hard and we still live in this sinful, broken world that has been cursed because of our sin. Even the very air we breathe is not the way it was meant to be. Nothing as though it was meant to be. The world's broken. And we have to navigate it. Boy, we have a good Book of wisdom for helping us navigate that. But anyways, my goal isn't to do a big message on that, and I apologize. But God is good. Life is dangerous, but God is good. Obedience brings happiness. Um, one of the things, and this is, a, you're just going to have to take my word on it. Um, and those of you who have walked with God have experienced this, but one of the things that you'll learn after walking with God for a long time is that obedience brings happiness. My life, I have a very normal, mundane life. I live in a very common home, drive a very common car, have a very common family, live in a very common neighborhood, and have a very somewhat common job. And I love my life. I wouldn't ask for anything different. I have some regrets. But God has woven those into the fabric of my life and who I am and where I am today. And I thank God He did. But I love my life. I love living a life that is based on the kingdom of God. And if you can kind of imagine a pie. And each slice of the pie represents areas of our life. You can imagine like we have our family, our wife, our relationship with our children, our work, our finances, our recreation, all these different things. Each one of those represents our life. God, sometimes what we tend to do is we tend to put church and God in that uh, slice. we got our God slice and our church slice and all that stuff like that. But that's not what God wants. God wants to be at the center. He wants to be at the center and he wants to speak into all those areas of your life. And yes, why? And not because he wants to keep you down, not because he wants to make life hard on you, but because he wants to bless you. He knows what's best. If he truly is who he says he is, and I believe it, he knows what's best. Again, he's good. He's all-knowing. This world's broken. We need help navigating it. He knows how to navigate it. Every time I choose not to follow God's ways, it never ends well. I may escape the situation, but I think about what else could I have enjoyed. Now, let's transition here. Before we get into actually taking account of our own personal lives, I want to caution you. There's this idea sometimes that people have, and you may or may not have it, and that's okay. And again, I just want to stop for a minute. Um, If you're investigating what it means to walk with God, you're still kind of figuring that out. I want you just to kind of sit and listen and and hear what I'm saying. I don't want you to feel pressure of like, oh my gosh, I fall short of all this. Especially when we're taking account later. I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, what are these people talking about? I want you just to sit and listen and let the perspective come in and just begin to do its work in your mind. And just be open, be intellectually and emotionally open to the ideas I'm talking about today. I'm not mad at anybody who doesn't agree with me on this. I'm not mad at anybody who doesn't. I'm not here to punish you. If you later we have these little, you'll see in your listening guide we have these layers. We're going to mark our progress, you know, in our different areas. We're going to take account for. I'm not mad at you if you have a low score. I have a low score on some. We're, we're people. We're all here, coming from the same place, different different stages in our walk with God, but we're the same. We all struggle with the same stuff. We all fall short. None of us is better than the other. So I just want you to relax and enjoy yourself. If you've been walking with God for a long time, think about your next step. What is your next step? What can you take away from today's message that is your next step in walking with God and taking Him seriously? How can you grow? Because we all have next steps. We all have room for growth. So first of all, I just want to caution you to this idea of kind of this idealism that comes with following God. And, and I'm going to promote following God. It does bring blessing to your life. I am going to say that as long as I have a voice to say it. But we do live in a fallen world, and there's some things you need to know. So three things you need to know. These aren't, This isn't, it's actually, it'll be on the um, outline here. The first one is, he will not remove all trouble out of our lives. He will not remove all trouble out of our lives. The scripture says, John 16:33, which is on the outline here, says, um, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Remember, God came down and actually lived in this world, and he overcame it. We can't say to God, you don't know what it's like to live down here. He says, yes, I do, and I overcame it. I overcame it for you. Trouble is not going to be removed. And that is scary to me. I, I, don't, I don't like that. Let's just be honest. I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, I'm going to get dramatic now, but let's just say it. I don't like that, you know, three weeks from now I can find out I have some terminal cancer. I work in hospice. So sometimes my perspective is a little skewed. I come home, we have great dinner conversations about work. But I see all the terminal cancers. I see all these illnesses. So my... Anyways. <laughs> I don't worry about it, by the way, just so you're not worried for me. I don't sit and stress about getting cancer and all that. <laughs> Growing past that. But... um I see people who, who are walking with God on hospice. I see people who have real relationships with God and have really devoted their lives to the kingdom of God. And they've come out with early terminal brain cancer or something like that. Why? Well, this isn't a message on pain. So you have to figure that out on your own. And you can figure it out on your own with the help of God and with the help of people at our church. i got great resources for you to figure that out. Talk to me if you need to. But he will not remove trouble. But look, it says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Uh, that, so that in me, sorry, I was looking for the in me. So that in me you may have peace. In Jesus we have peace. So what, what does that say? That, what's the bottom line here of that whole trouble? The, the bottom line is, is when you walk with God, you do not suffer in vain. The scripture says that all things work out for the good of those who are God's people. Now, that may not be in this life. It may be in the next. But somehow we have to get our minds around the idea that life is dangerous. But God will make it right somehow. This life is not our whole existence. This life is a dangerous place. I think in a previous sermon I talked about it where the Titanic has sunk. We're all in life rafts, and we're sitting in the North Atlantic. And we're just trying to help people in the boat. <laughs> and uh, so that's really where we're at right now. All right, next. We will never understand everything that's going on. The verse for that is um, Ecclesiastes eight sixteen through 17. It says, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, His eyes not seeing sleep day or night. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. He said, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, and there have been many who have, he cannot really comprehend it. This also is unsettling to me. Because I'm a person who needs to know. I don't know how your personality is, but I need to know. I need to know. I stress about stuff that I don't know. But you know what? God has given me a piece of that. And I'll tell you where this piece has come from. This piece has come from finally understanding and really believing that God is good. I'm going to give you an example, and I'm, not, I'm telling you this to give you the example, not to make you feel bad for me. Okay? Me and my wife, our third child we had, she was a late-term stillbirth. She died about 23 weeks. And we had to give birth to her and have her cremated and everything. Many of you were around during that time, and it was something we all kind of went through together. And I don't know why that happened. And I probably never will. I probably will go to my death not knowing why that happened. But I'm okay with that now. Because I really, really believe. And this isn't something that a light just turned on one day, but I really believe that God is good and righteous. And what he does is righteous. I don't measure righteousness to God. I don't say, God, are you righteous? Do you fit in this righteousness category? What you have to measure is you have to measure what God does is Righteous. And stand on that. So what I... But, okay. It's a lot easier said than believed. It was a long process getting there. Many, many, many little things of God proving himself to me. God proving himself to me. God proving himself to me. Digging in the scriptures. Learning, understanding, knowing. And I still have a long ways to go. But I thank God I had that perspective when my daughter died because I don't know if I could have handled it. Um, also, there's, there's a couple ways of understanding um, this whole idea of um, not understanding the world. There's a such of a concept. Okay, you know how we have rational? We have rational things. That's logical, that's rational, that makes sense. Then we have irrational. That's irrational, illogical, it doesn't make sense. Well, there's another category that we just, in our Western culture, don't really approve of. But it's supra-rational. It means above reason. It doesn't mean not rational. It means it's above reason. It means we don't have the ability to fully understand. We can put categories around it. It's kind of like this. Me and my mom, actually, my mom's in town, and we were talking last night about some theological dichotomy that both exists in Scripture. And they seem to contradict, but yet they don't. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of like there's, in our point of view, there's some things in life that are parallel lines. You know, parallel lines run around and they never meet, right? There's this truth and there's this truth. And they both are almost kind of saying different things. Similar but different. And they appear to never meet. We can't put our minds around, we can't make them meet and still still be the same, still be true to what they are. Does so that make sense? Let's see some nods? All right. But somehow in God's reality and in and in a reality we will understand one day, they do intersect. And I don't know how. I just know the Bible says they do. And it's kinda of like, you know, and I used to struggle with that a little bit. Okay, that's a big faith leap, and it is. But I used to struggle with that. And then I started doing some investigation of um, uh, physics just because I was interested. I was used to be a window cleaner, and I used to just listen to books on tape and because I was really bored. And um, somehow I ran across some like Stephen Hawking's book, to just the layman, A Brief History in Time. You might have read it. And um, in there he talks about this unification theory. I had no I, idea that there was this unification theory in physics. physics. And sorry to go, this way with this. So just bear with me for a moment. But there's this idea, and you science people are probably going to tell me I'm wrong on this, but just bear with me. There's this idea out there that um, light can travel both through as a particle and as a ray. Now you may say, well, what's the difference? Well, one is, is the difference is is a vacuum. Light can travel through our atmosphere right here through particles, but it can also travel through a vacuum where there's no particles. Sound cannot travel through a vacuum. Sound needs particles to move through, right? It has to vibrate particles, and that's why you hear. Light can travel and exist as both. Well, that doesn't in the physics world, that doesn't make sense. And they still have not fully been able to explain that in 2012, almost 13. They're parallel lines that don't seem to cross, but they do. That may be a really bad analogy for what I'm talking about, but it works for me. Also, the next thing is he will not make life predictable. Ecclesiastes 9.1 says that, So I reflect on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise... And what they do are in God's hands. But no man, no man knows whether love or hate awaits them. This is that whole idea of dangerous but good. Life involves a lot of risk. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what are you going to do with your life? What is your life about? Let's go back to the beginning. What is your life about? What are you going to do with your life? Is it going to be the idea that's really popular today of, well, you only live once, YOLO. (laughs) You only live once, and then you die, so let's make it really fun. I don't know about you. Well, never mind. Um, And if you think that, I'm not mad at you. I want to be clear about that. I'm not mad at you. I get it. I still practice that sometimes in my daily lives. we're all honest with each other, we practice that. Why do we celebrate Christmas? It's fun. Why do we go to Disneyland? It's fun. Why do we do anything recreational? Why do we spend our money on stuff that we don't need? Why do we spend our money on things that are beyond our necessities? Because they bring us pleasure. We're buying up pleasure. And some of that's okay. But in the midst of all that, you have to ask yourself, what is your life going to be about? And if you have devoted your life to Jesus Christ and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are saying, my life is about accomplishing the kingdom of God here on earth. That's what you're saying. And so I want to help you. I want to help you make progress in that. I want to inspire you. I want to inspire myself to make progress in that. I want to remind us of how important it is to constantly be checking ourselves and getting back on track because we drift. I mean, let's just... Be real with ourselves. We drift. And that's just who we are. And let's not get all frustrated about it and just pull up the bootstraps and keep moving. Sorry. That's kind of a guy thing to say. So let's take account. And our next slide up here, will say take account of the following. Your time. There's four things we're going to take account of. You don't have to go through these on the slides. I'm just going to say them. Your time, your resources, your people, your mission. Psalms 90.12, under your time, is teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You get this idea that time is of the essence and there's a lot of work to be done. Another scripture in the Bible says, the harvest is much and the workers are few. There's this idea that there's a lot of people to get in the life draft. Remember, we're still in the life draft. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of work to be done so I, I was looking up last night I was going to be all clever and come up with all these statistics on like what people spend their time doing but I just thought that was lame so I wasn't going to do that anymore And uh, but one thing I did notice was is that um, pretty much what people spend their most of their time doing next to work and sleep of course we work, we sleep guess what the other one is? Well, you probably know. It's anything that involves a screen. A big screen, a little screen, this screen. It's the internet, TV, phone. Can't lose that. Television. And you know what? I do that too. I like screens. They make me happy. They suspend my mind for however many minutes I'm on them. I don't have to worry about things. And there's a season for that. There's a time for that. And that's okay. But, I know myself, I will watch. I just got Dish, okay? i got to tell you that. I've never had, me and my wife, for some reason, I don't know why, not because we're like these good and holy people, but just because I think we were too cheap. We never had any kind of satellite or cable or anything like that ever since, I think, yeah, since we've been married pretty much, 15 years. And so we've always had like Netflix, and we rent movies, and we watch, you know, over the little bunny ears or whatever. And... um so finally, we thought, all right, you know, Netflix is getting kind of lame. I think we've seen everything, and uh, and the bunny ears don't really work anymore—at least not where I live. You know, I mean, even the satellite antenna thing doesn't really work. And so um, we thought, all right, let's get Dish. It's only twenty-five dollars a month for this plan. It's really cheap, you know. And so we got it, and boy, it's just a wonderful thing. Like now, I need a new TV because my TV was perfect before, and now it's. I have all these HD channels, but I'm not enjoying them because I don't have an HD TV. So um, it's really frustrating. And uh, so you see the you know, I, I I for a while there I was like, all right, let's get home and turn on the TV and see what's you know, look at all the channels. What am I TiVoing or on my DVR? You know, and it's great. Um, but I have to watch myself because I will disappear into the TV at night. I still do a lot with my day, but I will disappear, and I'll stay up until midnight, 12.31 in the morning, just glued to that thing. So anyways, sorry to tell you that little story there, but um, this kind of fits in. We have what's called hard attitudes here at Orange Crest Community Church, and these are kind of our values. We have seven hard attitudes. Some relate to each other, and some relate to the way we um, work with the, uh, the organization as a church. But I'm going to kind of plug in the hard attitudes to each one of these and where they go. And the hard, for those of you that are invested in hard attitudes, and a lot of you are, it's a way of life for a lot of you. And it makes your life better. But hard attitude one and five, which is put the goals and interests of others above my own. How do you think that applies to time? I'm not asking you to answer that. But it's rhetorical. Let's say it's... You know, recently they had the MLS Cup, okay, and uh, Major League Soccer, and the Galaxy was in it. And it was on, <clears throat> and I forget what was going on that day, but well, anyways, I only use me as, as an example. But let's say you know some big sporting events on, or some big thing that you really want to watch. You want to watch it live. You don't want to record it and watch it later, but you want to watch it live. And um, but then you get a call from you know Joe Blow neighbor, who wants you to help. You move. And he thought he had a good group of people, but they all fell through and they build on him. He really needs some help in it's last minute. You have a choice to make there, huh? Choices. Oh. That's really what goes on inside of us, huh? Oh. And you know, honestly, let's be honest. There are times when it's okay to say no. You got something going on. You need to do it. And it's appropriate to say no. But there's times when we just need to, all right, my time, I can give my time to them. I can put their goals and interests above my own and give them my time. My church needs has a need for people to fill in, or my friend has a need for people to fill in here, and they have a need for this. I only have this much time, and I want to guard the time that's for myself. And sometimes it's appropriate to guard the time that's for yourself. But according to the statistics I've read, and seen in my own life, we have some time to give away. And we need to give that away to each other. God wants us to give that time away to each other. Heart attitude number five is also support the work, or the support the, um, or sorry, participate in the ministry of the church. That takes time, doesn't it? Participating, serving, being involved in different teams. That takes time. All right, so I want you to rate yourself. Manage poorly or managed wisely. You'll see on your listening guide there. I want you to rate yourself on one to ten. One being, I'm willing to manage a little bit. Well, never mind. It actually says manage poorly. So go ahead and take a minute or a second. Rate yourself or think about it for later. And then I'm going to move on to the next one. Your resources. I've got to be moving here, actually. First Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Luke twelve thirty four says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart, if you can think about the heart, it's being defined as your central guidance system for life. We talk about it here at Orange Crest Community Church. It's Kind of like it's you know, it's where what you really, really want lives. You know, I really want to lose fifteen pounds, but what I really, really want to do is eat peanut brittle at eleven thirty at night. So, which I did last night. <laughs> Along with good and plenties and and red vines. Just a little bit. That's where what you really, really want to do lives. I really want to follow God and make my life about it. But I really, really want to do what I want. But I really, really want to follow God. It's hard. It's a civil war. And that's okay. That's natural. Don't get mad at yourself. But Fight. Ask God for help. He is real. He is watching. He will help you. There's work to be done. Don't give in. So rate yourself on that. Your resources. Oh, by the way, hard attitude one and number 6 this Again, put the goals and interests of others above my own. Your resources giving of your resources. Support the work of the church financially. That's hard attitude number 6 for those of you who are members or have been coming around for a while support the work of the church financially. Um, the Bible speaks of a tithe, which is a tenth. And that's really our resources God has given us. My kids are they they they've been really wanting to learn about tithe right now, so I'll kind of talk about this for a minute. They've been really wanting to learn about tithe, you know, they're 12 and almost 11. 5th and 7th grade and so um, it's interesting, one of my children is really on board with this concept, just really, okay, I got it, 10%, 10% goes in the jar, no problem. My other kid is like,
1: ugh, oh,
0: 10%? And I get it, I know where they're coming from. And you know what, we, we have this idea, We I mean, it's hard with kids, because you don't want to force them to do something that they should be doing on their own, but at the same time... They're young and they don't really know better, so you want to give them the experience of doing something that's right, so they know what it's like to do something that's right. You know what? You follow me on that. So it's this hard dichotomy of how do I do that? And so, um, so for this individual in my family, this child, I try not to give which one away because you all know my children. But for my child, um, we have this idea of understanding: like you get ninety percent. God owns everything, and you get to keep ninety percent. And I think that worked for this person. Because the idea is God wants a cheerful giver, you know, not someone who's doing it out of obligation. But, just understand, your resources have been given to you. Your opportunities have been given to you. Your personality has been given to you. Your abilities, your aptitude, your drive has been given to you. Can you really take responsibility for your personality, which in lies generally leads you to the type of work you do? Can you really be responsible for that? Can we really take pride in our personality and our abilities? Now, Your resources have been given to you. So rate yourself. Are you stewardly stewarding poorly or stewarding wisely? Your resources. And I didn't get into the whole stewardship thing, but there's this idea of like, and I'll just say a quick sentence or two about it, but there's this idea of not just giving, but it's this idea of being wise with it. Telling your resources what they're going to do rather than them telling you what you're going to do. My TV tells me what I'm going to do all the time. That was a joke. People, your people. And this is people in your life, people you're responsible for, people you're friends with, people that God has put in your circle of influence. We all have people in our circle of influence. I don't care how shy you are. You have people in your circle of influence. Philippians two twenty through twenty one says, I have no one else like him, referring to Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, the people he's sending them to. For everyone else looks out for his own interests not those of Jesus Christ. And this is the idea, this is a picture of uh, Paul had really been building into this young man, Timothy, a young man who has really shown faithfulness to the kingdom of God. And he's just kind of saying, I'm sending them to you to help you guys. He's going to steward you guys because he is a person who does not just look out for his own interests when it comes to people. Do you think people were important to Jesus? If you look through the Gospels and the story of Jesus' life, what did he do? He spent time with people. He built into twelve men, he invested his whole life into twelve men. And then he, you know, he extended it out from there too, but his whole day was full of people by the time he started his ministry. It's hard to deal with people sometimes. I'm an extrovert, and I am. But I'm not an extreme extrovert. So I kind of guard some of my alone time, and I need some. Like, it still tires me out just a little bit to come to social settings. And some of you may be surprised by that, but it does. As much as I enjoy it, it also tires me out. And uh, I'll tell you, man, sometimes my wife will set up these social engagements at my house, and I'll be like, oh, man. I just want to go back to the dish. (laughs) I am so thankful we do it. And my wife is an introvert, not an extrovert at all, if you know her. And many of you do. And she's setting up a lot of this stuff. She does it out out of a desire to build into people. A desire to not even build into people like, we're these great people who have all this to build into, but just a desire to be friends with people. People need each other. People need friends. People need support. People need someone to listen to. People need someone to help them. You've got to set aside time in your life for people. All right, so mark yourself. Self-focused or served others faithfully. Your mission. Oh, by the way, people, sorry. Hard attitudes, one, two, and four. One is, of course, put the goals and interests of others above your own. Number two is um, live an honest, open life. It means we don't wear masks. We don't fake it. It means we, uh, we at least let a few in really close. Not the whole world, but a few in really close. And with everybody else, we just don't fake it. Four. Four. Um, hard attitude four is clear up relationships. It means we don't walk around with piled up discretions between us and our fellow man or our fellow believers, our family, our workmates. We don't wrong around, walk around harming each other and then not clear it up. We take account. We take responsibility. We go to people. We try to make sure as much as we have the ability, and this isn't a sermon on clearing up relationships, but at least as much as we have the ability, we take Steps to clear up their relationship. God values us so much that it says in Matthew, it says if you come to the altar where you're going to worship God and lay your offering at the altar, and there, remember, that you have something against your brother, first leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. Then come and offer your gift. God even says, wait to come to me. Clear it up. That's more important than you offering something to me. So your mission... Acts 20, 24 says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. And this is Paul writing this. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And I want to say part of that again. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Because remember, we're in the lifeboat. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. The task of helping people get in the lifeboat. It's more than just evangelism. It's a whole life devoted to Jesus Christ. And it's not just for you and your blessing, but it's for them. And it's not I'm not going to go down that road. Sorry. It's for the glory of God. And the glory of God is good for us. In the Psalms, it almost has these. There's a certain Psalms that says it almost is a demand, a command. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And C.S. Lewis was once contemplating that the author C.S. Lewis. And he says he finds it interesting that there's this command to praise the Lord. And then as, you know, his whole thought continues at the end of it he says, he kind of comes to the conclusion that God understands that if our hearts and lives are devoted to him, that's where we gain the energy and the desire and the motivation and the strength To live a life devoted to Him and to love others. To actually use our time for Him and for others. To use our resources for Him and others. To to build into people. And to actually have a mission of making your life about the kingdom of God. A mission that says, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not, I am a hospice social worker. Or not, I am a parent. Or not, I am a spouse. Or not, I am whatever you are. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and He has a lot to say about how I do my job, how I treat my wife, how I treat my kids, how I do whatever, how I spend my money. So, failed my mission, faithful to my mission, or need a mission. That's another option. Or, what is your mission? Have you ever asked yourself, what is your mission? What is your life about? So application. Here's what I want you to think about. I want to invite Cody and the band up. Um, Go ahead and come on up. I want you to think about um, these. There's some steps here. What's the first step I can take in changing the way I... The first one is use my time. Steward my resources. Relate to people. Respond to my mission. I want you just to briefly, right now, take a moment to think about that. And if you something comes to mind, write something down. If not, then do it later. But I want you to come up with what is your next step, and you and well, taking ways to change your life and using your time steward my resources, relating to people, respond to the mission. And and if you're, like I said, if you're still investigating what it means to really walk with God, or you're a brand new believer, and a lot of this doesn't make sense, and I've just dumped a lot on your plate, like, oh my gosh. Calm down. Don't worry. God is real. And He really pursues people. And He's really interested in your life. He's interested in you. The God who upholds all of the energy that's in the sun and every other star in the universe also can deal with you and wants to deal with you and wants to grow you. He'll grow you. Respond to him. All right, I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to go ahead and take up the offering. Um, well, to get ready to take up the offering. Um, If you're a guest here, please don't feel obligated to take up the offering. This is for those who call Orange Crest Community Church their home. These are our tithes and offerings. And um, there's an envelope in your handout that you can put your offering in or write a check and just put your cash in or write anything on it. So feel free to do that. If you didn't come prepared today, you can always give online. Also, just a reminder, today's the last service that you can donate towards our Christmas offering which we're going to, um, we're given to three separate areas. And the first one being is we're trying to help Church in the Valley, our sponsor church, our parent church. We're trying to, they're launching a new site out on Alhambra. And we really want to, they've given us so many resources and so much help if we have grown, so many people. And we really want to give back to them now that we've kind of grown up a little bit. And we want to help pay for some of their advertising. And advertising is pretty expensive. And I just want to let you guys know that so far for this Christmas offering, and this is shocking to me, is uh, we've already collected a little over $4,800 from you guys. And it's going to be sent out to uh, here, to overseas, and to other things. And we've talked about it in previous services, where the money's going to. But today's year, and if you still, if you didn't come prepared to give, you can still give online towards that. Um, But yeah, it'd be great if we can get above five grand for that. That'd be a great goal. So we're really close to that. Um, But go ahead and take up the offering, the ushers. I don't know what they're called, ushers, offering takers. And and go ahead and drop your connection cards in there. If you filled those out or if you haven't filled those out, just go ahead and drop those in there. And then let's continue um, worshiping. Sorry, i got one more thing to say. Um, Cody, this is Cody. And I will be back at the uh, guest information table after the service. If you're a guest, come up and say hi. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to just meet you, greet you, kind of hear your story, hear where you're from, how you found out about us. Or if you haven't met us before and you want to meet us, and you have any questions about anything we do here, we'd love to answer those questions for you. So please feel free to come by.